Hello, world, and welcome to the next episode of Expect to Win. I am Lamar Thomas. I have with me today a brother of Phi Beta Sigma, so you already know what that means. He has high morals, time back, brotherhood, scholarship, and service, and all that other great stuff, but that's just one piece of the things that he's done. I have a dynamic brother who goes out and speaks to uh, several organizations, churches, and most of all, prisons. He's written several books. He's been featured on several radio stations, podcasts, TV stations. Um, I can't even believe he's even here. Uh, but I, I'm trying to sum it up in a short introduction, man, but I know that you're going to be blessed by what he's about to do. But I have brother, Dr. William Flip Clay. What's going on, man? What's up, brother Thomas? How you doing, family? Oh, man, I am blessed to have somebody of your prestige on, man. Um, I didn't want to steal the thunder and list all the books and websites and everything. I wanted to save some of that for you, but I know you got a powerful message, so go ahead and kind of give the people a little little backdrop of background, some information about yourself. Um, I completed my undergraduate degree at West Virginia State University, my graduate degree from Virginia State University, and my doctorate degree from Argosin University. Medical School Professor of Psychology in Washington, D.C., been in the Washington Post three times, um, did the Steve Harbour Morning Show with WHR 96.3, um, in 2012, I received the Marcus Foster Distinguished Educator of the Year. I was the first counselor in the history of the organization to receive this award. Um, I've been recognized by a United States sitting Supreme Court Justice. Met her live back in 2010, and upon meeting her and spending two hours with her, um, I received correspondence saying I'm an extraordinary role model and individual. Um, besides all those things, I'm, I'm, I'm all about addressing the social, emotional, academic deficiencies from the cradle to the grave. That means from birth to death. I want to attack the social and emotional. And if we're talking from it from a school perspective, we're going to focus in on academics. So I travel around the country doing workshops at university, churches, colleges, schools, communities, just addressing the social, emotional, and academic deficiencies. Oh, man, that, that's awesome, man. Um, I came across in some information on, on Facebook um, listen to some of the speeches. You know, I know one is uh, about constipation, uh, emotional constipation. Uh, speak on that one a little bit. I just released my book, The Diary of an Emotionally Constipated Man. From a, from a counselor perspective or a mental health perspective, what I was finding in my work professionally and personally, that people are being misdiagnosed, point blank. You know, they're coming right. up with these diagnoses, with, with, these, with a diagnosis that really is not applicable to what's really going on with the individual. So I, came, I decided to write my book, The Diary of an Emotionally Constipated Man. In the book, there's two, there's two stories written into one. It's my personal journey, and then it's my journey of students and adults and the clients that I work with through their emotional constipation and their emotional incarceration. I came up with what I call a non-diagnostic disorder. Diagnosis, which pretty much means it's not, you won't find it in any medical book. And I call it Emotional Psychological Incarceration. And it falls around three stages. Emotional constipation occurs from birth to the age of 14, if we're looking at it school-related. From 14 into adulthood, if you don't address the emotional constipation, they go into an emotional incarceration. The ninth grade is the highest failure grade around the country because they're leaving constipation going into an incarceration. And if you don't address the emotional incarceration, they go out here and do something stupid and become physically incarcerated. This is that's, that's, this is the reason why we have so many African-American males in prison, because of the constipation that occurred in the child that they never disclosed, which went into an incarceration, which caused them to do something stupid and become physically incarcerated. Wow. So that's the basis behind 
the diary of an emotionally constipated man. My goal and objective is emotional freedom from childhood to death. Regardless of what your age, you have to learn to release the emotion. And I, and I travel and I carry a toilet when I do my sessions because when you release physical waste, you feel good. So physical waste is, is just like emotional waste. The longer it stays in, the worse you're going to feel. So when you sit on the toilet and you drop a good one, you yeah. feel better. Oh, yeah. So think about it when, you sit on, when, you, when you're in life as you maneuver and function through life, and you haven't dealt with that one tro- that one topic or that one issue that's causing all this emotional constipation. And then you're wondering why you haven't accomplished your goals or you can't be the man that your wife wants you to be or you can't be the family figure or you can't be the role model or you can't be the person God, God calls you to be when he brought you here. When, when the creator allowed you to come here, you can't reach your, the realm of, of what you want to accomplish because you're constipated. And there's nothing like being constipated. No, man, it, it's a horrible feeling. Wow, that and that's, you had another book. What's the what's the other book? Was it um, um post traumatic school disorder and problems strategies right. for African American males? When you go to the gas station to pump gas, you decide which 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 level you want to get. Um, regular, super unleaded, or uh, unleaded, super unleaded or regular. Our first book was eighty seven octane. It's a little bit of my story, but it, it focused more. It's, it's school based. Um, there's an empowerment program template that you can follow. Um, I talk about different strategies that you can use to help alleviate this constipation. I, I tap into it a little bit in the first and second chapter, and I go into my life story a little bit, but that first book is it's, it's probably more school-based, and, and, it's, right. and it's based around how do you set up an, a successful empowerment program. My empowerment program in elementary school, I ran it for four years. Uh, we had a 75% percent increase in academic proficiency. I only had six African American Latino boys suspended in three years. Wow. My in school the in school suspension rate data decreased with the implementation of the program. The program was so su- successful we ended up being on the Steve Harvey Morning Show where they actually talked to my young um boys and, and, and it was it was remarkable. So I figured let me take this program and plant this seed so other educators can implement programs. If they have something in place they can take what I've done and the tool that I've used and make it part of their program, like they can just take the template from the book and just follow the script. script right. works. I mean, I used it. So that was my first book. But the, so that was 87 octane, but the Diary of Emotional Constipated Man is 93 octane, the super unleaded. Wow, and you was um, giving me a brief example of uh, you just did a presentation. You had a, a, a gentleman that was in prison. Uh, speak on that just a little bit. Yeah, um, this, matter of fact, this was yesterday because um, May is National Mental Health Month. So I was doing a presentation, and um, you never know who's sitting in the audience. So um, after the panel discussion, um, exiting the venue, and he, he's walking out, and he just stopped. He said, brother. He just started shaking his head. He said, man, wow. He, he was like, man. So we, we, we're having this conversation, and he, he was like, man, you know, I did 17 years. He says, when I was in the pen, nobody who came to the pen to visit us came with a perspective that you just dropped in the last 35 minutes. He said, this book right here needs to be in every prison around the country. He said, because it's a lot of hurt. It's a lot of, well, we already know the brothers in prison are hurt. In prison are hurt. Right. But, you know, my, my thing is, you have these, and I'm not knocking anybody that goes into a prison to, you know, to do work. But, you have to have something that they can relate to. 
And here's a guy that did 17 years in prison saying, if I would have had your book, because I noticed when he first came in, he picked up the book and he was just looking at it. And he made the comment, wow, the title. It's like, wow. But then he started reading it. And this is before everything started. I'm looking at him like, okay. But I didn't realize he did 17 years in the prison. He was just saying that, man, when I was breaking down, when I just broke down to you, how he could relate to it so much that it had him self-reflect on why he went into the pen. So he then he started talking about his childhood, adverse child experiences. And most of the young men that you work with in your high school that you're in charge of, they suffer from some type of adverse child experience. Yeah. So and he was just basically like, you know, man, I, I mean, and he even said, my brother, I only have no money. I said, man, look, it's a magic. You know, I, I don't want to go too much into the story, yeah. but long story short, um, he didn't have no money. I said, brother, you ain't got to pay for the book. He's like, what? I said, no, nah, man. He said, man, this is going to motivate I'm motivated, man. This is gonna, he was so inspired. I was like, man, this is not about me. I said, bro, you just helped me out to sit here and tell me that you did 17. Because this is the third time someone has said to me, I need to get this book in the, in the penitentiary system. So I've done sessions in the detention system and spoken to some men who've been um, in the penitentiary system. And I'm, this, I'm, you don't have to tell me a third time. Right. So um, I'm going to, in the process of putting that in in place. Plus, in next month, I'm going to be launching my coaching program, the constipate. I'm going to be considered the constipation coach because my goal oh. is to help these men release this constipation. Wow. You know, because they have Doctor Phil, right? But but you know, you need a chocolate version, Doctor Flip. <laughs> I ain't mad at it. I ain't mad at it at all. Hey man, and whatever I could do on my end on this side. Uh, I'll do what I can to just make sure I spread that, um, and and I will give you a few references. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that I'm a, I've already ordered my book, but I'm gonna be getting some information from the book, and you know I'm gonna use it a few times, and I'm gonna give you your due justice. But after a while, it end up being mine, uh, so don't be mad when you see it. But no, um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but where where did your drive to help these men come from? Because there's so many of us, you know, we do have that stigma. Um, and I'm big on trying to erase the stigma that you have several people that, you know, when we reach a certain platform, you know, we shy away from going back to, to help others. You know what I'm saying? So where, where does the passion to, to help men, you know, like, like you're doing, where did that passion come from? Well, and I go more in-depth into the book, but I'll give you a five-minute version. Okay. I grew up in a four-bedroom, two-bath house, three cars, mother, father, sister. When I was five, my father started verbally abusing my mother. The verbal abuse led to physical abuse. When I was nine, he picked up a phone and knocked her in the side of her face and then knocked her slam out. And we rushed her to the hospital, and the doctor said if the phone would have hit her eye um, an, an inch away, she would have been blind the rest of her life. She ended up leaving my father. A year later, she was diagnosed with carposal sarcoma skin cancer. I was nine. Uh, I'm sitting at the table when I'm 10 years old. She tell me, promised me two things. You'll make some of yourself and never treat a woman like your father treated me. She died when I was 13. I had to take care of her from 10 to the age of 13, going to, middle, going to school during the day, taking, her, taking care of her all night long, not being able to sleep, not being able to function. And that was my journey. So now as a counselor in the school district and a consultant, across the country and, and internationally, I share my, I'm very transparent about everything I went through and up to the point where how it still affects me today. Because one of the things I found working in an um, 
urban Title I school, in an elementary and middle school level. As a counselor, you have to, if you're transparent and kids can kids understand what that you went through, what they're going through, and they can relate to you, you can heal anybody from anything. So that's my that's my journey. That's my story. Um, it's a lot more to that. Trust me, it's a lot more to that. Um, I went through a phase where because of what I went through as a child, um, and I talk about this in the book, where I um, I became a pimp. I had 16 people working for me, 14, 12 guys and two girls. And I won't go into it, but you have to read the book to, t- to read the story. But, yeah, I, I became a pimp, and it was actually working for me, and I was making money. I had a yeah. team of people. But this is because watching my father grow- growing up, he was a molester. He, not a molester, but he cheated on my mother. He, I mean, he disrespected my mother. So this was normalized behavior to me. I didn't know no better. Right. I never became a womanizer, but I used the women to make money, and I used those men to make money. And this was all in the – and then – you know, something occurred that I talk about, which, you know, when this change came about. Right. So that's that's the back. That's a little bit of the backdrop. Man, that is that is awesome, man. But but you said something that that resonated with me. Um, in my journey, you know, I started in education with coaching. Um, you know, first got in it that that I was just gonna coach kids. Um, you know, normally that's kind of how our culture does, but. You didn't make it to the league or whatever after you played college ball. Most of us get into some form of trying to coach. Um, but I just discovered something while coaching, you know, that it was a need for some real men to help some of these kids. Um, that is some, some real stories going out. Um, and through long story short, but at some point I became a counselor too. So I was a school counselor at the high school. You know, I was the only counselor for the high school, so I had to – listen to all these stories. So when you talk about the emotional constipation, I know, you know, so you talk to somebody that was in the fire, you know, I know. And then now from school counselor to alternative school principal, you know, I'm still using that same stuff because I would say 95% of the people that I have in that building have some emotional baggage that they bring with them that we're going to have to do a book study with your book and see if we can help some of these people um, remove some of this emotional constipation. So, man, you've truly blessed me. Um, and like I said, I, I can really restore um, You know, there's some spots in your story that I could definitely agree with. And, and we've always said that rules uh, without relationship going to get you a lot of resentment. So if you can't build a relationship with the people that you're working with, if they can't relate to you, you know, then they're not going to really listen to you anyway. So, Man, you spoke a lot of stuff and a lot of wisdom, man, so I really appreciate that. I thank you for the opportunity. I mean, it's all about healing, man. If, you know, a relationship plus rapport equals common core. So I always tell, you know, educators, if you build a relationship with kids, you build a rapport with kids, and you find something in common, you can get to the core of what you're trying to accomplish. And that's so important when it comes to dealing with students of the, of the nature, that the background that you're working with every day, that relationship and that Report piece is so critical and understanding that emotional incarceration and emotional constipation. But I want to commend you for the work that you've been doing and the time you've been putting in because it takes a special individual to work with the students that you work with every day because you're dealing with your own baggage and then you got to come into a school and help them release their emotional baggage. So it takes a lot. And of course, you know, we have each, each one of us play our part in it. Right. So, but yeah, man. It's, it's, hey, man, it's on the fight, man. We, we we doing it. 
you know, now in your works, I know you, you know, in education, how much of that have you realized? I'm just speaking for me now. I've seen, like, sometimes the kids are not necessarily the problem. It's the grown people. You know, it's the parents or the teachers. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm throwing it out there, but there are some adults that be in these school systems that really don't care nothing about these kids. Well, well absolutely. I mean, that's just that's across the country. Yeah, um, you can walk. You know, you as you as, as you go to different schools around the country, as I visit different schools, have conversations with different educators. Some of them, a majority, fifty percent care, fifty percent of them don't. Right. Now, and I always say, as far as the parents concerned, genetic loads the gun, environment pulls the trigger. So when we're talking about looking at these kids, we we need to go back to the genetics, right? And, and the environment, you know, what's and um, epi, it's called really. I don't want to get too deep into it. But it's called epigenetics, and and it's and basically it's your heredity in the environment causes you to act a certain way. I mean, it's just really it's just really logical common sense. You know, right. if a child is if, if if genetically if a child is placed in an environment that's not conducive to healthy living, what do you what what, what do you expect to happen when this child is born? I mean, those genetics is one of in my in my book I call it intergenerational emotional incarceration. That's the way. Right. That's another term that I call it, but it's really genetic. Epigen- Europeans call it epigenetics. I call it intergenerational emotional incarceration because it's an intergenerational. It's just like dominoes, and it just passed down. Right, and then that's um, you know we have trending news now where you have uh, Principal uh, Brown, you know, put that parent dress code in. Um, yeah, I know, thought I a lot of a lot of people are talking about that, you know, but I know what she's trying to do. Uh, but that's going to be, you know, probably talked about for a while, but eventually that's going to be coming. I think that they're going to have to inflict or put more pressure on the, the parents to be real parents, you know. And, and I will say that last year we graduated 32 students from, from our school, and it was 32 different stories. And each one of those stories you could find the breakdown, like you're talking about, from the adults that's supposed to be uh, caring for these individuals. And, and so that's why I think that it's so important for for people like you um, to be giving your flowers early because you are out here in that fight. And people don't realize it because, like I said, some people reach their comfort zone and they just they stay there, you know, and they're they comfortable right there and they don't really worry about going back and helping and doing other things to help other people. You know, they're selfish in their own little growth. Uh, but the 3% of the people like you that's trying to go back, uh, that, that want to see other people succeed, man, I really do commend you for the job that you're doing. I, I really mean, do. but, you, but you're doing the same work I'm doing. I mean, yeah. you, you, you're doing it too, so I mean, I'm a, you commend me, I got to commend you. I mean, yeah. you're in a high school. You know, <laughs> I tell anybody, I, I, I couldn't work in a high school because from a counselor perspective because it's too much paperwork. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a counselor. See, I need, to be, I, need to be, I need to be in that one-on-one working with, in the, you know, so when you're working in a high school environment as a counselor and, and as an educator, you, you know, looking at it from a counselor perspective, I don't mean to get off track a little bit, but you know, I just want to commend high school educators for the work they have to do because when they get to you, they're emotionally incarcerated. Yeah. So you want them to pass this test, you want me to educate them, and you want me to deal with their emotional incarceration. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, it's rough in middle school because I was in elementary school for 10 years, but middle school, when they get to that, whoa, whoa, seventh grade, yeah, sixth grade, no. Yeah, but <laughs> that seventh grade is, is that emotion when they really – sixth grade is – yeah, I, I see it in sixth grade, but seventh grade is that transition year. 
where yeah. they're trying to find themselves. Uh, do I really want to be like girls? Uh, I'm still dealing with. I mean, I, I, mean, I could tell you stories. About my, I've, I've run session with young boys. I had one boy. I talk about this in my book. I'm not going to. But he was 14, several detention centers, put out the alternative school, back in my school waiting on placement. Um, this was seven, seven, several, several years ago, probably about eight to nine, ten years ago. Long story short, part of him, my, he, he was required to be part of my program. I ran a program out of my school. And uh, I will never forget it. I invited him to come. He wouldn't come. Then finally he was mandated to come, so he came the first time. And he sat in the circle, and he didn't say anything. The second week, he was the first one in the room, and he broke down and started crying. Now, this is the gangster now. Yeah. And he shared his story. And the other boys couldn't believe it. But first of all, he couldn't believe that he was seeing young boys of his age crying, 13, 14, 15-year-old in a circle crying, releasing that emotional incarceration and constipation that they never talked about before. But he right. shared this, and I'll never forget it. He said, I was two years old when my mother kicked me down the steps. And the, and the people moved, took me out of the house. He said, this is the second time I've talked about it in 14 years. And then three days later, we was in my office talking. He, he said, Dr. Clay, man, they give me this. He said, man, I'm taking this medicine. I don't need this medicine, man. I don't. He said, I was, I was holding all this anger inside of me. And I've never felt, I never felt comfortable in a place where I could release it. And he said, thank you. He said, I don't need to see no psychiatrist. This a, this, I mean, this is a gangster now. This boy about six, big boy for his age. They've been through now. They've been through everything. You can talk about, like, the kids you, I mean, and, and that was his release. When he cried in that circle, the, the other boys couldn't believe it. Because he even walking around the school like, what y'all going to do to me? He was a profanity. You know, he would have his good day. He was yeah. constipated. You know what I'm saying? He angry. But yeah. that circle was his safe place. And when he cried, it, it, it shocked me because, you know, for the time that he was there, you would never, you would have never thought this would occur. Right. But that was his release. Right. And so see, that's, that's huge, man. That, that, see, that's a lot of people that just his stature would have scared him to even talk to him. You know, yeah, he got a little, you know, a couple of little blemishes, but you right. got to talk to him uh, and not shy away from him, man. But I know you're busy and you gave a lot of great nuggets, man, and we're going to, uh, push that out, and, and everybody, you must get this book just because it's going to bless you, and then it's going to set it up for you to bless a bunch of people. Uh, but I do have a statement that I'm going to say, uh, and then I want you to just tell me how that resonates with you and whatever, and you can explain that, and that will be kind of how we close today. Okay. Um, I was reading, and I read something that said, there are more slaves today than there were centuries ago. All right, I'm going to let you have it right there. Now, tell me, give me that. Give me something on that. Yeah, more slaves today than we have centuries ago. Yep. I think that the word slave is a mindset. And even though we might have suffered through it, we're so powerful as a people that we can accomplish anything and everything with the right mindset. So as a man thinketh, so is he. I tell young people all the time, you got to get rid of your stinking thinking. Your stinking thinking is the reason why you're in the condition you're in. Because I correlate everything to emotion. I, I correlate everything to waste. And you're talking about being a slave. It's a mindset. Even though you went through the trauma, you're going to, you're going to become, you, you, you are going to become the person you want to become because resiliency is in your spirit. So when I hear that word slave, I think about changing the mindset to addressing yeah. 
the emotional constipation. Because, see, once you let a person know it's okay and they can relate, once you can get them to understand why they need to release it and what it is, then they don't mind. So when, yeah. you, when you say the word slave, you talk about trauma. Okay. Well, trauma doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. Why does it affect you? Because you sit on the toilet every day. And when you release that trauma at physical ways, you know you feel good. Yeah. So what about the slave mindset that you have? You have to change that mindset because that mindset has you in the position that you're in today. So with that being said, get the book, boysoffthehook.com. You can go to Amazon, type in The Diary of Emotionally Constipated Man. At the end of each chapter, there's about five or six questions. Because not only is it it's a book, but it's, it's a self. I want you to self-reflect. And I want you to look at yourself and look at other individuals. So I want you to use the questions to facilitate the conversation and the healing. So go to Amazon, boysoffthehook.com. I'll be in Charlotte, North Carolina, May the 20th, at the end of May. So follow me on social media. Um, I'm on Twitter. If you go to boysoffthehook.com, you'll see, you can see all my social media okay. Yeah, and I and I put it in the bio uh, on the thing, man. But, Doc, man, it has been a, a privilege to, to have you on, and I think that you've blessed me already, and I know that you're going to bless several others that, that get the book and do the thing. Uh, anytime you're in South Georgia or Georgia period, um, or if you just need me to help you do something, uh, man, reach out to me uh, and just let me know what I could do to definitely help, man. We're in the same fight. So uh, you got another another soldier down here helping you fight. Well, you know, that's, that's how the blue do. You know All what I'm day. saying. <laughs> that's what the blue do, baby. Hey, they go, go Ma. That's how we go Ma. <laughs> Okay. All right, bro. Well, um, did you have any nuggets or anything that you want to leave anybody with uh, before we go? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to leave you with this acronym. Okay. When you're driving your car and your car breaks down, who do you call? I'm asking you that question. Listen, this is for the listening audience. When you're driving your car and your car breaks down, who can you call or who do you usually call? What's the name of the company that everybody knows about? Triple A, probably. Triple A. Right. Absolutely. When your car breaks down, you call AAA because you know when they show up, what's going to happen? They're going to get it back. They're going to pick it up for you. They're going to get you right where you need to get to. They're going to fix it and they're going to get it right. So this yeah. is what I used to share with my young men in my apartment program. This is, we call it AAA. You know, you check your action, you check your attitude, and we're going to hold you accountable. And on the back of that shirt, we used to have action, attitude, and accountability. There's only one way, the AAA way. So I'm gonna leave yeah, it yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. I don't even know if I can get mine now. You don't shut it down. You don't <laughs> drop the mic on me, man. You don't drop the mic. Uh, but those that's been listening, you know, mine has always been just take advantage of two. You know, because three things when they go on, you don't get them back. And that's time, words, and opportunity. All right? Just make sure you take care of your time. Make sure you speak positive words to people, and make sure you are obsessed and take advantage of every opportunity you got. Man, it's been a privilege. I hope that we've blessed you. No doubt, no doubt. Please. Wow. Wow. Thank you for listening to the Expect to Win podcast. We would love your feedback to help us grow. You can reach out to us at expecttowin365 at gmail.com. You can search for us on Facebook at win, win, win. It will pull right up. We're also on Twitter. We appreciate your support. If you got us on podcast, go ahead and share us and like us um, and give us a few stars and let us know how we did. Thank you.